Here we are again on a Thursday with Plastic. Plastic. Hello, Damn, it's getting good. Future.com. Man, man, Bob Dylan, retire. Eat your heart out. We're getting so good. <laughs> Lisa, yeah, that's why I, I keep I telling hope, myself. I hope you could hear my echo here. With, in Is this, Samantha in still here? Did she hang up? She's online. Oh, she's still here. Oh, no, I'm, she's I'm still, still there. there. Oh, yeah, still here. We, well, as we uh, promised, there's no way to go but up from here. <laughs> Take it over, man. Yeah, so you already disclosed the name of our guest today, John. Um, it's Samantha from Deep Poly. No, I thought, uh, and, it, I thought it was Samantha from the movie Her, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, move on. Sorry. <laughs> well, we can still maybe maybe she's the one also, but today she's she's taking the role of Deep Holly, um, okay. and uh, we're happy to have you here, Samantha. Welcome. Oh, thank Hello, you. Welcome. No, thank you for having me. This is the honor. I'm super. I'm super excited for this. <laughs> As you might have already discovered, we at Plastic Climate Future we like to engage into sustainability topics, circularity, all around plastics and polymers, and especially also innovations. Um, and I've had a look at your website already before. And if someone else does that, they would certainly understand why Samantha was invited to Plastic Climate Future. The slogan there is Rethink Recycling, right? And this one is backed by a mission statement, uh, which is saying creating a sustainable circular economy for plastics. So just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we should have, this is, this is the slogan that uh, constitutes our, uh, our mission as well. So we're super happy to, uh, to have you here. Um, but I think before we dive deeper into Deepoly as a company and what you're actually doing, maybe you tell us a bit more about you. Was this chemistry, circularity, the fields of plastics already your childhood dream or how did you end up there? Uh, so, I mean, I think as a kid, I've always been into science. Um, when I was in, so I'm from Canada and, uh, in like elementary school, I was into the science fair and, and understanding, you know, um, any book that I could read on how something would work. That was always my, like my go-to book from the scholastic school, uh, <laughs> book fair that I would get. Um, and so I think naturally, I, I, I think I naturally fell into to chemistry. Um, and, but actually originally I wanted to become a professor um, and I wanted to go into organic chemistry and I wanted to be one of these professors that had um, like a, yeah, a, like a chemical reaction named off of them, like uh, uh, Fuchs and all these guys. And uh, I, I got into it and then I just realized that I, I really did not like academia at all. I wanted to get into the industry. Uh, so I switched from organic chemistry to materials chemistry. But during this whole time, recycling like never crossed my mind. Uh -huh. I was more like, let's make something new. Let's like figure out how to <laughs> optimize something for industry. Like let's make a new organic chemical. Uh, and it really wasn't until uh, I got into my PhD and I met my co-founders and we started doing uh -huh. like application development, uh, CO2 capture, this sort of stuff. Um, and there was uh, 
I mean, being privileged in academia, one thing which is really nice is you get to see reports that come out prior to them hitting the media. Uh, so there was a lot of stuff about uh, microplastics crossing um, blood-brain barriers, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. entering our system. It's like a whole gray area that the human species has now gone into because nobody knows how this is going to affect us. And uh, it, that was kind of like the the point where it was like, yeah, maybe we should just try and solve this with chemistry. Um, and that's more or less how the three of us kind of fell into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that sounds like a very passionate journey. Yeah, and uh, we're very happy, I think, John, that uh, we have another chemistry nerd here among us. Indeed, this doesn't happen indeed. so often. Well, as I keep on saying, uh, uh, I am not a chemistry. I'm a chemical engineer nerd. You yeah, know? we uh, chemical engineers become chemical engineers because we're either not good at chemistry or we don't like chemistry. People know that. So, so I'm a chemical yeah, engineer yeah. nerd. Yeah. But I, I was always fascinated by those organic chemists because uh, this was always for me like hieroglyphic. Uh, yeah, it's almost it's it really is the, the on the 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 uh, the cutting edge between science and art the way that they yeah. do these oh. reaction paths and so on. Indeed, indeed. So, but are you still using any of your organic chemistry background, or or did you did you use it to to build up the technology for your company now or you just simply switched completely to material science and then fell in love with this no i i we kind of i think we bridge both actually um the entire company is is kind of part organic part materials um and so yeah for the when we were developing the reaction um i was lucky enough i think to have a strong organic background from my previous professors that allowed me to go through the literature kind of understand what had been done where it had failed and like what i could use as a stepping stone next. Um, and then Chris, for example, had his background from, um, you know, uh, Liverpool and from Cambridge and, and from the stuff that he had done in his PhD postdoc. And we were able to kind of like merge these two sides together. Um, and so now we have this really cool, I think, understanding on the organic side of what needs to be done to possibly have a reaction work, what conditions we can use to change it, how to optimize it um, with a, a catalyst, for example. And then we have the um, uh, uh, chemical engineer nerd, Bardia, who's like, oh yeah, you guys can't do that. That's way too expensive. You guys are being too complicated. You need to simplify it. And then, uh, so we've, we've urged three sides, I think, really well uh, in the in the founding team and uh, also in the in the company, uh, which is, I think, really good because we can develop new things and and yeah. So, 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 what is uh, what is uh, if I may? I mean, I, I, I know my it's a little rhetorical question, but, but what, what is DePoly? Meaning the, the, the technology, and uh, what is it that you're doing? Uh, so we do basically depolymerization of plastic. It's where the name comes from, actually. So DePoly is short for depolymerization. Oh, yeah, good. And uh, um, yeah, so we, we cut the, we try and attack the functional groups in the bonds that are the weakest. So in pet plastic, it's the ester-based um, functionality mm-hmm. in it. Um, mm-hmm. And if you can cleave that point, then that is where um, you get the two monomers separating out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we tailored the chemical reaction. And we're, we're doing the same for other stuff. Um we do have some stuff in the in the works for LDPE, HDPE, um, polyurethane, all these guys. Um, so we're we're able to take the tech and expand it off that kind of um, basis of the weak points of chemical bonds and and of polymers. So 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 I mean uh, uh, we're going to really nerd out here directly here. So so, <laughs> so I, I I mean I'm familiar with, with with depolymerization for for what you call pet pet polymers, polyethylene, tyrethylate, PET, um, polyester. Um, 
but then you mentioned uh, LDPE, for example. Are, are you are you talking about applying a depolymerization technology to LDPE, which is usually taking uh, like when it comes to chemical recycling, a thermal cracking technology, commonly pyrolysis or gasification or hydrothermal treatment? Yeah, we it's it's still very early stage. We need to figure out which um, either monomers or oligomers are coming out, um, mm -hmm. and this is uh, part of the the QA's uh, department yeah. um, to understand and yeah. and piece together the reaction basically. Wow. Um, but yeah, we've we've also been able to show that you can do something to LDPE on a room temperature, so no heat, no pressure um, wow. side of things. Wow! Wow! Um, so now we need to figure <laughs> wow. out what to call it because we don't know if it's full depolymerization. Um, is it oligomerization? Yeah, there's yeah. Nerd out point part two, John. I mean, because one of the one of the challenges, let's put it that way, when it comes to uh, uh, the technologies involved with uh, chemical recycling of polymers, uh, is 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 the issue of energy intensity. And, and so, so when you start talking about uh, being able to depolymerize, or let's just say more generally, chemical recycle uh, polyolefin like LDPE at room temperature, that that gets really, really. Uh, game-changing, groundbreaking. Is is that what you're really uh, looking at, uh, for example? That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, we solved the the pet side already, right? So we know that when mm -hmm. we do the reaction with PET, we get uh, purified terphthalic acid and monoethylene mm -hmm. glycol out. So that's the two components that we would sell back to like the plastic industry, for example, yeah, or resin yeah. producers. Um, and so now it's the Okay, what's the next step? And uh, the polycondensate plastics, so PBT, yeah, yeah, PLA, yeah. Uh, PU yeah, right. to an extent, mm -hmm. um, we can do. Um, and now it's the difficult ones because once you start getting into these like only carbon, 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 hydrogen bonds, you have a, a much higher activation energy to, to crack this barrier, right? So um, wow. we, again, thanks to the, the background that I think that we have in the team, um, we've been able to find a way to do this. And now we just need to figure out uh, how it scales, do the optimization and basically go through the exact same pet process that we did mm -hmm. for, well, for pet, um, where, you know, you go lab scale to a kilogram to 10 kilograms to 50 kilograms to hopefully at some point, 500 tons. This is just, I mean, I'm just like a kid in a candy store. Listening to <laughs> Matt, Matt, you are a genius bringing Samantha into this conversation. Uh, but you're I mean, nerding I, out. You're just, really nerding out. Just so one, one, one <laughs> individual after another. Just so, so <laughs> smart and cool. I mean, and pulling back a few steps here. I mean, uh, uh, to 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 uh, those out there that that are not as nerding out as as, as I am now. It, it, it's it's uh, for what what's so cool here in 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 you know terms uh, that a cool people understand is like the application of such knowledge in in and and technique and, and skill to solve problems uh, that, that actually are making us into a, a slightly better place in terms of plastic waste and carbon footprint, et cetera, better use of resources. Just to bring the nerd level a bit down. Um, <laughs> Good, let's do it. I'll, I'll, I'll so like for the general public, what is depolymerization and what is basically your special thing or what what is different from from regular recycling processes i mean we can we can be a little nerdy like what is different compared to conventional chemical recycling as well uh yeah so uh currently and this is very dependent more or less on your uh, geography and where you're based um the recycling system works that um you put 
let's say, let's focus on PET. You put PET, uh, let's say it's a bottle or it's some sort of consumer-based good into a container. Um, somebody comes and picks it up and they they sort it, they pre-separate it, they wash it, they put all the colors into different things. You can't have mixed colors. Um, they have to scan to make sure there's no PVC in it, for example, because that can cause um, problems in, in batches. And, uh, and, and yeah, then they, they basically melt it and then turn it back into pet pellets and they use that to turn into uh, like consumer-based recycled PET items. Um, the problem is though, is that if you have, you know, PVC or if you have um, food contaminants, if you have those, those peanut butter jars that nobody cleaned out or margarine containers or mayo containers or soaps and, mm, and all this, yeah, yeah. Um, it all has to be thrown out. And then depending on where you live, this is where um, the kind of the downside of, recycle, uh, of plastic is. Uh, it either is incinerated for energy um, which is more or less just uh, burning oil for the sake of it being oil, because all plastic, at least PET, is made out of oil, um, or it goes into landfills. Uh, Canada's uh, bad for this, same with the U.S., as we landfill a lot because we have so much space. Um, but then you have microplastics entering your environment, you have it entering people, you have it, there's a whole bunch of problems with it. So um, instead of the mechanical system where you you would take a pet item, melt it down into pellets, and turn it back into a pet item, um, we basically break it at the chemical bonds into the raw ma material that it's made of, like what the oil producers make. Um, and then we sell that back to industry. And the way I like to explain it to my parents is that mechanical recycling is like you take a piece of paper and you rip it up into a thousand different pieces and you tape it back together and you say, this is the exact same item, this exact same piece of paper. And it is, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's the piece of paper. You can still reuse it. It's, it's just not the same quality, right? Um, you have yeah, to maybe yeah. add new paper into it. Uh, with us, what we do is we, um, by the fibers, almost unweave that entire piece of paper and then weave it back together. So physically, it's the exact same thing, even though it's 100% recycled. Mm. And how, how does it differ from other chemical recycling processes? And, and I'm just going to jump in here and say, well, I mean, I'm not going to make a difference between comparing her depolymerization technology to another depolymerization technology, but generally speaking, the types of chemical recycling technologies that are deployed are a function of the type of polymers that you're wanting to chemically recycle. So it's it's generally, I would say, an irrelevant comparison to make between depolymerization, for example, and pyrolysis, because unless, unless you do crack the nut of depolymerizing LTPE at room temperature, uh, uh, the, the, these are technologies that are used for two, two different families of, of, of plastics. And so there is no such thing, incidentally, as conventional chemical recycling. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of it is really just on the the polycondensates. Like if you look at chemical recycling, the true right. stuff, uh, and this is even the stuff that they did in the 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. it's all the polycondensates because you can actually break the bonds. Mm -hmm. And instead of going from, well, you go from, you know, monomers to polymers and then polymers to monomers. And that's like uh, the the whole depolymerization true kind of scheme. Yeah. If you go into pyrolysis, then it's basically just burning it to get out. Um, no, 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 no. Pyrolysis is not burning. No, 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 no. Well, sorry. You heat it. You heat it. You use a lot of heat yeah, yeah. and then you get- Burning is combustion, right? It's yeah. not combustion. So no, 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 that's not correct. So uh, just don't do that. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, you, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's funny. This is a great example of, of, of the, of the, the, the challenge that, the, the technology of pyrolysis suffers from this because even people that know sometimes misspeak. Yeah. And then, yeah. then a layman picks it up and says, oh, it's burning of plastics. No, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not that. But way. I think it's a great example now because I think this is also a discussion which is already reaching 
the general public and even between us nerds we realize that uh, there is still a lot of misunderstanding simply due to the term terminology right to simplify this and say look there is mechanical recycling which is uh at one point similar to the to the example with uh with the paper but then there is also another type of um reusing the plastics which is which we call chemical recycling for me it was it was not that clear that you have polymers that cannot be uh chemically recycled by um pyrolysis for example and i think this is this is the main thing that that uh, where you are in uh samantha that you are in this business which is dealing with polymers that cannot be chemically recycled by pyrolysis right yeah i mean our ultimate goal at the end i mean pet was the first stepping stone for us um and the goal now is to do the the hardest ones because yeah pet and polyester is a huge portion of the market i mean especially polyester if you look at carpets and things like this it's um it's mixed with a lot of things like nylon for example and it can't be recycled so we're trying to get the hard to reach items, but but at the end of the day, also there's a huge component of these polyolefins out there that don't get recycled and um, end up just in in the garbage because nobody knows what to do with it. And so we wanna we wanna tackle everything. We don't want to be like a, let's say like a one hit wonder in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's just one thing. Last thing, and I'll I'll be quiet on this. I mean, uh, to the extent you're able to develop technologies that are uh, if you will, uh, chemically recycling uh, polyolefins at lower temperatures, uh, then then you're really are pushing the ball forward as far as uh, the issue of energy intensity, uh, which is 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 a, a challenge for all of the technologies that are currently applied to chemically recycle polyolefins. Yeah, yeah, and our goal is to do everything at like room temperature, so no heat, no pressure, um, wow. and it has to be like as simple as possible because it's just if it's if you start complicated on a lab scale it's only going to get complicated on the engineering side of things as you get larger and i'm, I'm sure you know this very well from the chem side of everything mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. for sure <laughs> and- i think this is this is simplicity is a good uh keyword because this is what i've seen you have you have a beautiful website by the way i think this is a great experience just to to go through and scroll through it um it has so much information also like like really facts about uh, yeah plastic recycling plastics use plastic waste facts which are super interesting and I, I i can just encourage our listeners to go there but one of the statements is about the simplicity of your technology and this is this is what you state as being your advantage so does it refer to the low temperature or you also have other tweaks that you're looking for that should simplify the recycling process so i as far as i understand it's one of temperature is one thing and then there is also trying to tackle with the same type of technology simply trying to tackle uh, the polymers that um, are not being conventionally recycled by depolymerization right yeah. So, uh, yeah, we want to also tackle the other polymers with the same sort of room temperature, easy method. Um, but mm-hmm. for our system, yeah, there's, there's no heat, there's no pressure, which is, is what makes the reaction, I think, as, um, straightforward as it is, um, because you don't have to worry about the type of reaction vessels that you would have to buy on a really large scale for this. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, one example um, that I, I kind of always tell people is that over COVID, I was able to do these reactions on my kitchen table. 
Um, so it's, it's that straightforward as of a process. Like it's, you can, you can run it in your kitchen with a pot and a stir bar. Like it's, it's that straightforward. And I think in terms of advantages, that is a huge thing when it comes to getting up to industry scale, because then you have a lot less issues scaling the tech, uh, from the start. So, yeah. And then, uh, we also like to try and at the same time, change the chemical, uh, industry. Uh, technology. So one thing that we've tried to do is get around recrystallization. Um, recrystallization is a process that basically you you make a saturated solution of something, uh, you heat it up, it all goes into solution and only the pure stuff crashes out. Um, and for purified terpthalic acid, they typically need three to five recrystallization steps back to back to get it to be the purity. And this is from mm-hmm. oil uh, to get it to the purity that they need to mm-hmm. do the polycondensation reactions. Um, and we have a method now that we've uh, developed and we're currently working on scaling and incorporating it into the whole system that avoids recrystallization, which will also be lower energy demand, lower um, CO2 footprint in the end. Um, and we're hoping to also do the same with distillation. I don't think we can change the game for distillation because it's a, a very complicated uh, uh, system when it comes to separating out uh, like liquid solvents. Um, but we're hoping to at least find a way to make it uh, with a lower um, energy footprint than your standard chemical industry distillation technique. So we're, the I guess the the very short term uh, topic answer for this is, is we're trying to approach this from multiple sides. It's not just the chemical reaction. Um, purification is also a very uh, important to- uh, important topic to address. And uh, we're looking from all angles of the technology uh, on where we can optimize it and also make it better and more. Uh, okay, may I ask you a question? We've, we've talked about, you know, comparison to different, you know, chemical recycling technologies. Uh, how, how would you uh, position your, your depolymerization technology versus, not versus, but uh, in comparison <laughs> to or whatever to, the other depolymerization technologies that are out there. I mean, um, uh, I mean, uh, by 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 some of the big companies out there that that are uh, using uh, different types of technologies for depolymerization. Uh, how would you put yourself out there in, in, in that in that uh, group? In a simple way. Yeah, we. Um, I think a lot of these guys are are uh, targeting. And I don't mean this in any uh, rude way at all, but um, they're kind of the low hanging fruit of the PET world. So it's mm-hmm. like bottles that are clean. It's 100% polyester. It's it's this. It's basically the stuff that mechanical recycling could tackle. It's uh-huh. a lot of the guys are developing this level uh-huh. of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we are trying to aim for the stuff that would be thrown out because there's just no way it could be recycled. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is where, where we really stand out. Um, mm-hmm. We can do the stuff that is, you know, covered with benzene. We can do the stuff that's covered with like solar panel cells that were like partly mm-hmm. dismantled and whatever else. Like there is no limit to the the dirtiness of the material that we can put into our reaction, which I think mm-hmm. is a, a limitation everybody else typically has. So you're tackling the hard stuff, but in a really simple way. And yeah. even... Sounds like when you talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but that's that's where the that's where all the waste is is coming from, right? It's it's not yeah. the it's not the bottles. It's the the you know it's the polyurethane biking shorts that people wear cover that are uh, like polyester based mm-hmm. that can't be recycled mm-hmm. that people throw and don't think about. So, and and where do you see the biggest challenges like now from your point of view, like from with, with your technology? to scale it up because it sounds like well you have now developed so many methods so now we just need to scale it up and we solve the problem 
Yeah, this is, so this is the next challenge for us is just the scaling. Um, it's not so much of the actual, like scaling the chemistry technology. It's, it's kind of more mundane based um, issues like which is the right filter, um, which would be the best, uh, how we're going to do the distillation in such a way that we have a lower um, energy footprint, hmm. which, uh, yeah, which, which uh, motors can we use um, that have a shorter delivery time? Cause there's, there's an issue right now with supply chain oh. demand uh, for stuff. So, so it's these issues for us right now, basically. So, so when you say these are kind of mundane, that would also include that, that they're not significantly concerned as adding cost to the process that would make it prohibitive economically. Oh yeah, no, this is yeah. the, we've priced out the material. We, we worked with an engineering firm that did a feasibility study and, yeah. and basically modeled out everything plus or minus 20%. Cool. Um, cool. And yeah, our big even point is, is very small for a chemical plant because you usually chemical industry, you have to build um, quite yes. big systems. And there's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And for us, it's, it's quite small. Like we're, we're um, we can break even around uh, 10,000 ton per year input of PET waste, which is um, minimal compared to what other people can do. Uh, so this is not an issue. It, it's things like choosing the right equipment the first time so that we don't have mm. to go back and choose something else. And then we delay milestones or timelines and yeah, things like this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Wow. <laughs> Um, let me jump jump to another topic um, because on your website, what I as I mentioned, I like your website a lot. <laughs> um, the guys that did it are fifty seven. They're fantastic. If anybody is out wow. there uh, looking to do it, <laughs> go for them. They like we basically gave them like no holds bar over like whole thing. We just said like, can you do this? And this is what they came out with, and we were absolutely in love with it. So they did yeah, a fantastic job. <laughs> it's a, it's really amazing like and and especially for a for a nerdy chemical business right because you would expect such a website from some fancy designer architect but in our field where we are moving in then uh, it's it's very uh seldom to find such a beautifully and and comprehensive website so but anyways i i, I already complimented on this um but uh <laughs> i'm looking a at lot the website <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, they did a fantastic job. Depoly.co. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you put, obviously, a lot of attention by, you know, displaying also facts about plastics, plastics waste, and so on, on education, creating awareness, and as we had before, also the right terminology, because this is very important uh, um, as we heard from the discussion before with with John also. Um, How crucial is this from your point of view um, to have to create this awareness and and educate also on the consumer side? Um, And also like, you know, look uh, into yeah, discussions about these different types of recycling, uh, as we have now, for example. Um, and is there, from your side, from your perspective, a need to to increase education and awareness also on the consumer side, or is it a topic that the industry should solve themselves with technology and innovation? Um, oh no, I think uh, so. Yes, the, it's both sides. I think um, industry needs to solve it with um, innovation because uh, I mean the consumer side—that's not their responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. From the consumer side, you also do need to educate because, um, for example, when I was growing up, 
um, there was a lot of miscommunication on what could be recycled and what couldn't be recycled. Um, mm-hmm. And then you end up with, uh, you know, the media saying that, you know, the X place has a poor recycling rate. It all gets shipped over to Southeast Asia or China. Um, and I think that if we, uh, if we just put it out there and we just educate everybody and everybody knows what's happening with their garbage, I think more people will actually care. Um, if you don't let consumers know where their polyester t-shirts are going at the end that they're all getting incinerated because they can't go anywhere else. Maybe people are going to try and buy, you know, more cotton based because at least cotton, maybe there can be better recycling for that. Um, but then consumers can actually properly buy with, um, with their wallet. They can buy sustainability if that's what their, their goal is. And they can also recycle sustainably as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, but regarding circularity, because we just touched upon it, uh, do you think it's that there's a chance to make your the plastics value chain fully circular with uh, technologies like yours, or do we have to also kind of divert from plastics at one point? No, I think at some point we have to divert from plastics. Um, I mean. Our technology is really good for the transition between plastics and, let's say, bioplastics. Mm-hmm. Um, plastics are, are very much ingrained in our society. We use them, and there there are a lot more things that people realize or don't realize. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we need, in the short term, um, something to treat the current waste that's there, the waste that we're making, and our future waste. Um, but then we also, I think, do need to start thinking from a completely sustainable point of view on is there something better that we can replace oil-based plastics yeah, with? Right. Like, is, is for example, is polylactic acid or PLA going to be the bioplastic that takes over? How are we going to make sure that those uh, value chains are established and in place? Is there another bioplastic that's better, for example, even? Um, and, and then go from there. But I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, bioplastics is also something, uh, one of the things I, I, I've, I've been interested in in, in uh, recent years and, yeah, I, I began. I became involved in the plastics industry back in the late 1980s, and and when I became involved, about one million, no, about uh, 100 million metric tons per year were being made. Right mm-hmm. uh, now, we're up to around 380 million. What's interesting, if you look at the percentage back in 1988 of bioplastics, biopolymers, and you look at the versus the total uh, pol- plastics made. And you look at it today, Samantha. It's 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 stayed the same. It's been uh, all, t- all all around a little bit around one percent, a little bit more, uh, never above two. Um, and um, and 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 so so for so for me, I, I think biopolymers are great and cool. But 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 one of the things I, I I'm concerned about is 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 it realistic to to think that they could. Uh, if you will replace uh, the current demand for plastics that are satisfied by fossil-based, I, I wish they could, but but I just uh, I, I I was extremely you know optimistic uh, three years ago looking into that, and and then this two percent thing I, I figured out based on my own research uh, uh, and that that said well hey it just does it doesn't grow uh, it doesn't displace. Yeah, it grows in volume, but it doesn't grow in percentage to uh, replace fossil-based, except in some, you know, boutique, you know, you know, Coldplay concerts or something like that. You know, uh, so so I, I but, when it comes to bioplastics and polymers, man, I think it's great, but but I, I just I really am worried and concerned about the scalability to replace fossil-based. I think that the way we're going to have to deal with fossil-based 
is is really on the uh, reduce uh, uh, reduce 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 yeah uh, side. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we got to find and that that's going to involve change societal change and mindset that you can't change in two weeks. Uh, it's generational, you know. Uh, fortunately, the young people today, in my observation, I'm an old person. The young people today—I uh, mean, younger than you even—are uh, uh, are more conscious than this older generation of mine in general. Even and 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 even they, right. they know more about recycling the plastics than we old people do when it comes to standing in the kitchen and what to do with that plastic cup, you know. So, okay. Yeah. I'm, I, that was my last hobby horse thing. <laughs> no, but this, this, I, this, I completely agree with you, but um, I think this also tracks with kind of the whole sustainability movement at the same time, because in the eighties, right. Because um, mm-hmm. I mean, I so I'm an 88 kid mm-hmm. um, in the nineties and, and these, nobody, like nobody really cared about sustainability, right. People were like, Oh, you should recycle. You should do this, like whatever else. But really it's been in the last maybe what, 10, 15 years that people are like, oh my God, like we, climate change is a problem. And, and people are yeah. actually starting to like, look at these things and, yeah. and realize. And I think for the bioplastics, it's just mm-hmm. going to be a matter of time that at some point, it, bioplastic even just has to wait until we run out of fossil fuel. I mean, after that, yeah. not so, making so any more fossil years, base. About a hundred years from now, it may start to make some sense. Yeah. So, you know, as you said, generational, the next generation yeah. might actually see the yeah. swing or uptick in, in bio-based yeah. plastics because they yeah. have to, there's nothing else to replace the fossil ones at the moment. Well, other than that. Yeah. And what I wanted to add is at, at one point, I mean, plastics were making also just 1% of all the materials being used in manufacturing. And then it took some Super time. Awesome. They took it over. So exactly. I think, <laughs> I think we cannot, uh, of course there is challenges and, and, uh, there is, uh, the mindset change and also technological innovation needed, but I don't think it's, it would be fair to right away outrule it. Um, I think it's uh, we have to face and, and talk about these challenges and, and address them. Um, mm-hmm. And as Samantha just said, maybe it's going to take a mm-hmm. hundred years, and maybe it takes yeah. uh, it, it needs uh, and the time until we run out of fossil fuels. But it might also need uh, a good technological innovation, and suddenly mm-hmm. we will yeah. switch to to bioplastics. But yeah. definitely, there is there is a then end to fossil-based plastics uh, in in some way or virgin fossil-based plastics. Uh, how mm-hmm. we're going to deal with it? This might be circularity, might be recycling, might be also new material technologies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good. Thanks, Samantha, wow. for for <laughs> for your insights. It's it was it intense. was so cool. And and in, finally, in we had. <laughs> I wouldn't say finally, but today we had a very high-level nerd nerding out discussion and uh, i know that john also likes it uh if oh, we yeah, yeah, dive deep into these topics um uh but bringing the level back to let's say yeah normal uh understandable standards um <laughs> <laughs> we have one more one last question that we have for all the guests and this Very is the most important, actually. Indeed, uh, Indeed. We need uh, one or two songs uh, for our Plastic Climate Future playlist on Spotify. And we ask everyone to provide one or two of these songs. Either they connect to the person, to their activities, or simply to the topic, or are just <laughs> two songs that everyone should listen to. Do you have some? This is, this is absolutely a requirement, Samantha. <laughs> no, this is... Um, so I guess this is more of... Uh, 
it, it's personal. It doesn't really, because um, at least to the topic, because with music, uh, with me and music, at least um, there's kind of the two sides. There's like the, let's go for a run and let's be active and exercise. So I think there's a different tempo and beat for that. And then there's the, I'm on the train home and I want to think. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, um, there's a band, uh, well, not a band. There's a, a, a group called Girl in Red. Um, and she has one song called uh, Body and Mind, which I really like. Um, yeah. And I think, it, yeah, it's a oh. very good song. Uh, and then if you want the more upbeat um, so I run a lot. Mm-hmm. Running mm-hmm. for me is like a, a it, it gets all of my everything out. Like it's, it's, I can lay everything out on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been a fan of, uh, there's a DJ uh, called Dead Mouse for uh, a long, oh, yeah. uh, he's been for a while. And uh, he has one I called, uh, yeah, When the Summer Dies. And that's also a really good one as well. So those would be my two songs that I would suggest. Totally different, I think, genres in terms Perfect. of the style it's and exactly everything. What we but, want. Yeah. <laughs> 